why are they a very tiny mystery? Well, here we're going to add some more details that I didn't add on or didn't say much about on Tuesday night. You see, these three unstable polonium isotopes only have fleeting existences. They decay very rapidly. Polonium-218 has a half-life of 3.1 minutes. Polonium-214, a half-life of 164 microseconds. If you blink, it's gone. And polonium-210, 138 days. Now, as some of you already know, it only takes 10 half-lives before you've put virtually, it's all decayed away. So for 10 half-lives of polonium-218, that's only 30 minutes. For polonium-214, that's 16.4 16, 16 microseconds. And it's all gone. So how do you form a halo in that time frame? That was the very tiny mystery. What was Robert Gentry's solution? Obviously, these polonium radios had to form very rapidly. So what was Robert Gentry's solution? He claimed, and you'll read about this in his book, uh, uh, God's Fingerprint, that uh, the polonium radios were created. They must be God's fingerprints of creation. He concluded that the polonium had to be created in place in the granite separate from the uranium because there was no known process that could separate or, or migrate the polonium from the uranium to produce these halos. And so all granites, he said, had to be created, rocks, no matter where you found them. You see, you need a concentration, a total concentration eventually of 50% of polonium to get that number of alpha decays. Now, he said it all had to be at once, but I believe he's wrong there, and I'll show you why in a moment. He, he concluded 50% concentration had to be there, bang, ex nihilo, when God created. Now, the problem is, of course, for polonium-214, you'd have to get that concentration within a millisecond or two, a blink. So indeed, it is, seems to be an almost insolvable dilemma. But here's the question. Why would God create the polonium radio halos and then allow the uranium halos to subsequently form alongside them over millions of years in the same biotite flakes? That's one problem. The other problem is some of these granites can be shown to have formed during the flood, the year of the flood. I'm going to show you one of those tonight, the one that I referred to on Tuesday night, where you can walk from fossil-bearing sedimentary rocks a mile to where the heat and pressure began to metamorphose the rock, another mile to where the rock was so metamorphosed that it started to melt and form a granite. In other words, the granite was derived by heat and pressure melting a fossiliferous sedimentary rock. Therefore, the granite could not be a created rock. It was formed during the flood. So all you have to do is to produce examples like that, and that falsifies Robert Gentry's model 
for God having created all the granites. So does that mean we can just you know, throw away the radio halos? Not at all. Not at all. They still have something to teach us. It's like any scientific endeavour. Someone puts up a scientific model, it hangs around for a few years until people find problems with it, and then they propose an alternative model. Now, someone might come up with a better model than the one I'm proposing in the next 30 years. Well, great, we're getting closer and closer to the truth. So it's, it's not about, you know, fighting over these issues, it's about doing better science to build better models so we understand God's world better because he's told us to use our minds to worship him and glorify him in, in having exercising dominion over the world that he's given us. So we need a new model for the formation of these radio halos. So here's the clue. Since polonium is a rare element, where in the biotite flakes could the polonium have come from to form the radio halos? I mean, this was the key question that struck me, that gave me the answer. You see, you have to ask the right questions to get the answers. And that's what's happening in the evolutionary community. They're not asking the right questions. But when you ask the right questions, you'll say, now, wait a minute, there is a source of polonium right there in the biotite. What is it? It's in the zircons. You've got, remember, you can see in these photographs that polonium and uranium radio halos are side by side. Usually they're less than a millimetre apart. And sitting in the centre of the uranium radio halo is a zircon crystal that's full of uranium. And that uranium decays to polonium, you've got a nearby source. So, next question. How do you get the polonium from the zircon crystal out beside the, in the biotite to produce the polonium radio halo? That's the next difficult question to answer. But it does tell us if the source of the polonium for the polonium radio halos was in the zircon, zircon crystals, that means the uranium and polonium radio halos had to form at the same time. And that's a very important lesson that we concluded on Tuesday night. Why is that? Because that means to get enough polonium to produce a polonium radio halo at the same time as a uranium radio halo, you have to get 100 million years worth of uranium decay in just a matter of minutes at the same time to produce the polonium radio halo. So as I said on Tuesday night, it's evidence for accelerated nuclear decay during the flood when many of these granites were forming. So you have to have a mechanism to deliver enough polonium from the zircon crystal to a nearby location in the biotite crystal with enough alpha particles to form each dark polonium radio halo before the polonium decays. And the answer is quite simple as we'll come to in a moment. But what it means, as I just said, that at least 100 million years worth at today's rate of uranium decay has to occur within hours to days for these polonium radio halos to form alongside and at the same time as the uranium radio halos. So at this stage we can, can conclude before we 
progress to a solution here. The dark uranium radiohalos in many granites around the world are observable physical evidence that abundant nuclear decay has occurred during the flood and in Earth history at least 100 million years worth at today's rate. Now, when we get granites at different levels in the geologic record, you sum total that and you can realise that we're talking about hundreds of millions of years worth of decay during the flood, for example, which we concluded from other evidence, but of course at an accelerated rate because coexisting uranium and polonium radiohalos must therefore, having formed at the same time, be observable physical evidence that this abundant nuclear decay had to have occurred at an accelerated rate. You might say to me, but if the uranium decay was accelerated, why wasn't the polonium radio, uh, decay accelerated? Or the carbon-14 accelerated? But were you listening to what I said on Tuesday night? What did we find? The slower the decay rate, the greater was the acceleration. That means the faster the decay rate, the less acceleration. Uranium has a half-life of four and a half billion years. Polonium has a decay rate today of minutes, seconds and days. So would polonium have been sped up? No, neither would, would carbon-14. They would not have, have seen significant effects from this accelerated decay process. Okay, let's consider how these radiohalos might form. Let me propose a model, and then we're going to test that model. We're going to test that model, because that's what we do. We put up a scientific idea, and then we go out, collect samples, process those samples to test that idea. And if the, if the, if the testing confirms our idea, it gives us more confidence in that idea. Now, this is an end-on view. These are the biotype flakes stacked on top of one another. We're looking at the end of a book, and you can see all the pages stacked up there, okay? And in that slice, which is a vertical slice through the pages of the book, we can see there on the left the zircon crystal between two sheets of the biotype flakes, okay? See, it's between two sheets. The zircon crystal is sitting there. And because we can see the polonium radio halo in exactly the same microscope section, it means the centre of the polonium radio halo is also between the same two biotite sheets as the zircon crystal. And that's important because these biotite sheets are easily pulled apart because the nuclear forces, the bonds between them, are weak. And that provides a conduit, a conduit between those flakes. It's easy for fluids to travel through. Now, one of the things we know, before I make this point that you see there on the screen, many people don't realise that granite, when it is molten, you have a blob of molten rock called granite that's going to cool and crystallise, it can contain up to 24% of its volume as dissolved water. So that when the granite minerals crystallise, any water that doesn't get locked up in the crystals is free to move around in amongst the crystals after the granite has cooled. And in fact, what most people don't realise is metals like copper also don't fit into the mineral lattices of the crystals, 
And the copper atoms are free to move around in the water, which is how we get the copper concentrated to form copper deposits in granites, such we find throughout the Rockies and the Andes. Around Tucson, we've got these large open-cut copper pits, copper mines. It's all in granite, copper, that's come as a result of hot fluids coming out of the granite. And that's the key. The hot fluids that are produced in the granite as it cools. They're available, therefore, to dissolve polonium and transport it through the sheets of the biotite flakes. One thing we know, however, which is a very important aspect of this research, is that the radio halos can only exist when the rock is below 150 degrees C. That's one and a half times the boiling point of water. You might say, but can water exist above 100 degrees? Absolutely, you have superheated steam. And water first appears in a granite magma at about 375, 70, uh, 390 degrees C. Now, how do we know that the radio halos can only exist below 150 degrees? Remember the drill hole I told you about on Tuesday night where they drilled at Los Alamos into that granite to test for geothermal energy? The, the granite from which the zircon crystals were taken by Russ Humphreys to examine the helium leakage rates? Well, remember the table that had the different temperatures as you went down the drill hole? If you study the radio halos in that granite, they disappear at 150 degrees. Why is that the case? Well, remember what's happened. The bullets have been shot out into the, into the surrounding biotite crystal. What they do is they damage the crystal structure of the biotite, push apart the, the layering and the way the, the atoms are bonded together. What happens when you heat something? The heat transfers energy to the atoms inside the material. So what happens, the heat transferred into the biotite crystals causes the crystals to vibrate more rapidly and what happens, at 150 degrees, there's enough energy, they lock back to their original position and eliminate, anneal or wipe out the damage. Okay? Now that's a clue that Robert Gentry didn't know about. And it's very strategically important because it has incredible implications, as you'll see in a moment. So, in this process, we've got the uranium radio halos beginning to form around the zircon crystal. And as it starts out shooting the bullets, the uranium atoms start going through that decay chain and they start producing polonium. Now, polonium being a, uh, and radon is the step before that. Radon, it goes down to radon and then to polonium. And that's significant, why? Because radon is a gas. And radon is also chemically inert. It will not be inhibited in the chemical environment in the zircon. So it's free to leak out of the zircon crystal just like the helium is free to leak out. So what will happen? If the radon leaks out to the surface of the zircon crystal, and then 